0: time? It was a pain in the ass. Not literally, thank God. Mm-hmm. They told me to drop trowel and fucking hang out in a gown and I was like, oh great, I'm have an old dude fondle me. And then at one point he ter- told me to turn around and bend over and I was like, is this how they slide mm-hmm. a finger in your ass? Is he not even going to bother having me remove my boxer shorts? Luckily, got away without having my genitals molested by an old man.
1: How did he need you to bend over
0: then? Uh, Spinal mm-hmm. stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I moved on from him to this um, old lady Um, fitness therapist person who made me do a whole bunch of weird shit. I ripped my pants. (laughs) Wasn't too happy about that. But the craziest shit she did, I don't even know if this is in the book, so I'm going to have to look at, like, regulations. Um, She took me to an isolated hallway, made me get down on my hands and knees and crawl after her down a hallway. And I've never felt more like I was in the presence of a closeted dominatrix Seriously? my entire life yeah people la- people laughed at me she seemed to get some sort of enjoyment out of it i was like is this part of the procedure or are you just trying to break me as a human being why i don't know she
1: didn't say what the point was no
0: but she kept calling me a bad boy
1: you're a liar <laughs> but
0: she did make me crawl on my hands and knees she did not call me a bad boy <laughs> <You're> a <liar. laughs> she thanked me, thanked me for my service and i gave her 50 dollars. welcome to the nightmare box <laughs>
1: You're terrible.
0: mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom, and, oh, hi, Kristen. The oh beautiful, hi, the effervescent Kristen Pennington. Yeah,
1: sometimes. Sometimes? <laughs> sometimes what? Sometimes beautiful and effervescent. Right
0: now you're beautiful and effervescent. Every <laughs> time I've ever seen you, you've been beautiful Aww. and effervescent. Aww. You're
1: sweet.
0: Oh, hey, Kristen.
1: Oh, hi,
0: Kristen. <laughs> Just a minute, bitch. And we're here to bring you... Maybe maybe I'm tooting the horn too early. I've got a lot of paper in front of me right now, so this could crash and burn, but if it goes smoothly, what might be the pinnacle of the two 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 star 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 Tuesday?
1: It is definitely I think the most research we've ever done for one of them. So. we
0: owed it to this film because <laughs> this film is legendary for being a shit film. There is a whole cult following. For this movie, based on the fact that it's a shit film, it's the greatest shit film of all time. In one uh, review on Rotten Tomatoes, it was called the Citizen Kane of shit film. So Ooh,
1: that reminds me, I almost forgot that I took a picture of the critic consensus for Rotten Tomatoes, which I definitely want
0: to read. But you did in the middle of my build-up, so now yeah. I got to restart over. So this film has a cult following. <laughs> <laughs> this film is 2003's The Room.
1: <laughs> And uh, we, on a whim, watched The Disaster Artist, I guess, last week, maybe? Yeah. Um,
0: immediately bought The Room because I'd heard about (laughs) it and I'd never seen it before.
1: And I I had heard The Disaster Artist was pretty funny. I had never seen The Room either, and then Brett decided we were watching The Room. And I was like, that's not what I meant to happen.
0: (laughs) Spontaneous buy, and then after watching The Room last night, spontaneously bought the script which is available, and he sends you free underwear. I can't
1: so. wait to see you wearing another man's name on your
0: genitals.
1: It's going to be so sexy. It's
0: going to be awesome.
1: <laughs> I should have had you get the the little trunks or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like to really emphasize. Like the briefs, briefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, 2003 is The Room. Uh, IMDB score of 3.7. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 25% audience score of 47% So well beneath all the regulations <laughs> for a two star but
0: not the worst rated film we've reviewed on the show. No
1: we've rated zeros by critics. <laughs> um, I do think it's kind of funny that the critic score is that uh, low because the top like critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is hilarious which I think they're poking fun a bit but it's fucking funny. Um, <laughs> it says a bona fide classic of Midnight Cinema. Tommy Wiseau's misguided masterpiece subverts the rules of filmmaking with a boundless enthusiasm that renders such mundanities as acting, screenwriting, and <laughs> cinematography utterly irrelevant. You will never see a football the same way again. And you won't. <laughs> it is I, a fucking trip of a movie. How
0: did you feel? How, how, if you had to rate it.
1: <sighs> I, I For think, what
0: it is, not, uh, you know.
1: Well, For what it is, I'd definitely rate it. God, probably a 15. By what it is,
0: I mean, like, it's culture.
1: Oh. And like... Um... Uh, I'd still go pretty low, honestly. <laughs> I'd probably say below 40, for
0: sure. I, I, I think I'd be on par with the IMDb. Like, maybe a 3.5, 3.7. Yeah. This film, like, when it hits you, and we saw The Disaster Artist, so we knew kind of how we were supposed to be approaching this thing. Mm-hmm. Um When I realized that it was a true piece of shit, it became so fucking fun for me.
1: Well, I think that's probably the magic of this movie. I think if we had seen it in the theater...
0: Like opening night with none of the history?
1: Yeah, well, no, even if we knew, I think if we had seen it in the theater with that midnight group of viewers that go just to have fun, it's probably a lot like being on a weird janky roller coaster ride. <laughs> like you're kind of having fun, but also kind of like, please dear God get me off. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like if you got to see it culturally with the rest of the people that like have a weird affection for it, it'd be a lot more fun and I'd probably rate it higher. Yeah.
0: When the Roxy opens back up, I'm gonna send letter after letter to the <laughs> guy who runs that place and be like, Can we please do a midnight showing of the room? Like I I think it would go over really well. <laughs>
1: Do you want to do the the budget and all that crap? Uh, uh, yeah, this I, used to be your thing, and I kind of stole it from you when we reformed. <laughs> Am I doing the that start?
0: whole grouping? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So this was, as is so often the case, written and directed by Tommy Wiseau, or Wizzo, or however you say That's that. Now. Why so? Why so? Well, he won't tell me where he's from, so he's Wizzo until then. (laughs) Wizzo. (laughs) (laughs) Directed and written by Tommy. Uh, It was a Wizzo Films production, so much in the way that if it was written and directed by Brett Bloom and produced by The Nightmare Box, we would probably come up with something better than this. Um, It was distributed by Chloe Productions and TPW Films. I'm guessing that that's probably Tommy P. Wizzo Films. (laughs)
1: I didn't even notice that Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what that is This
0: thing came in And this is If you don't know the history of this film That's kind of why we're doing this episode Because I want to give you all the crazy fucking facts As they develop This was made on a $6 million budget That came directly from Tommy And to this day Nobody really understands how Tommy did this He claims he was selling Chinese leather jackets On the bay he claims that he was selling toys. He claims that he made all of his money in a car accident. His
1: friend Greg said... Uh, Greg Cicerno,
0: he, Is that that guy's name?
1: Cicero? I don't really know how you pronounce it. Sistero, yeah. Um, yeah, said that he was already independently wealthy before they started production, and he thinks that he amassed the fortune through entrepreneurship and real estate developments in LA. <laughs> so maybe he was, because he had an apartment in LA, maybe he was like doing real estate. Like, Flipping out there. his apartments and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I mean, we don't really know.
0: Nobody knows who this dude is. Nobody knows where this dude's from. There's evidence that he's from Poland, but he claims to be from New Orleans. He. Nobody knows. But $6 million budget, box office, $1,800.
1: Which is definitely (laughs) the worst turnaround we have ever done. And apparently, since, has become such a cult classic that it's actually managed to turn a profit, which is pretty crazy.
0: But the crazy shit is at the beginning, it was only released to one theater for two weeks. It netted $1,800. But he continued to pay $5,000 a month for a billboard that was put up at the um, on Highland Avenue in West Hollywood. So he's just draining himself mm-hmm. for fucking five years, $5,000 a month, while his movie is not making any more money because it's no longer even playing. I saw a <laughs>
1: quote about that earlier today, too, while I was doing research, and somebody asked him why because it was a prime spot for a a billboard and so Mm -hmm. it was pretty expensive why he just kept dumping money into it all those years and he was like well it's a good spot we like the spot we're selling (laughs) DVDs
0: well I think that's the genius (laughs) of him like Kristen was like, "Nah, that that I've got an interpretation of this film," where she's like, "I don't think he's smart enough for that." And then I read these little details. And it's like he might have just set out to make a cult classic.
1: Well, I uh, saw it too when they were talking about the billboard that little card that you got with the DVD yeah. that's, like, that black and white of him with, like, his one and eye on kind the of And on the back side closed. is, like,
0: he sells underwear now so yeah. you could buy his underwear. Well, apparently
1: that was the picture that was on the billboard, mm-hmm. his, like, kind of blinking eye look, and he called it the evil man or something yeah. like that. I can't remember. And, like... Right. Apparently... Um, the billboard was up so long and the picture was, I guess, supposed to be, in Tommy's mind, a bit more of a intimidating picture. Mm-hmm. So, like, it confused people and some people thought it was a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, people would go see it and then, like, get pissed off because, you know, they didn't like the movie or they thought it was something else or whatever and, like, demand their money back. And it got so bad that uh, theaters, like, once they started showing it again, yeah. had to put up a no-refund sign. <laughs> and then there was one that literally, like... At the box office, had like a little blurb um, printed out that said this film is like being stabbed in the head. <laughs> it's like what the fuck.
0: You know, yeah. Sorry for all the, the the flipping of papers and stuff, but we both got a bunch of notes on this. Uh, while we're kind of in this budget and distributed by section, this was initially sent to Paramount, hoping for distribution. Oh, no. He had the balls to send the room to Paramount oh, Studios. No. There is a two-week process that normally takes place when you submit to Paramount for distribution where they watch it, they talk about it. I guess they have big board meetings. I don't know how Paramount works. I'm not going (laughs) to pretend. But instead of the two-week process, it came back no in less than 24 hours. This was shot down probably in the first 10 minutes of the first viewing. They're like, we want fucking nothing to do. With this twelve-minute tracking shot,
1: oh god, the <laughs> <Yeah, and laughs> San like,
0: Francisco Bay Bridge.
1: The crazy thing is, um, the budget didn't even come like the six million that he spent on this movie, which is probably part of the reason it looks so bad. Didn't even come from like hiring like good actors or yeah. anything per se. Like pretty much all of these actors have never done a feature film before. He spent six million. Building sets, even though there were real locations that looked exactly like the set <laughs> yeah, nearby. Like the
0: the classic rooftop scenes and the alleyway scenes were both accessible as real rooftops and real alleyways. But yeah. he had sets designed that cost like $80,000 yeah. for a cardboard fucking set.
1: And then he was determined to be the first director to film a movie in both 30 millimeter and high definition yeah, format 30,
0: 35
1: or yeah sorry 35 millimeter and then a high definition format so he bought both cameras and had a rig built that housed the two cameras side by side so yeah. it was literally just shooting the same shot on two different cameras it required two entirely separate crews to run <laughs> the two separate cameras yeah, so, once
0: you got to change the film out on and the other just runs until the battery dies yeah
1: so and well, you change memory yeah. cards and stuff, but yeah, he he had to hire two separate crews to run these two separate cameras that were literally attached to each other, and then then in the end, they only ended up using the thirty five millimeter footage for the movie. They ended <laughs> up not using any of the digital for the actual movie. But so, from my... it's crazy, like how much money he wasted.
0: From an article I read on Vox, I have a quote directly from him. Um, about doing that, because why did you shoot the film twice? And he said, quote, because the entire Hollywood was confused. Oh,
1: my God. And two, apparently, um, a huge part of their budget went to the fact that Tommy couldn't for the life of him remember his lines, so they would spend hours shooting dialogue sequences that should only be a few minutes, and then he ended up having to go back and dub over almost all of his audio. So
0: you'll notice, like, the mouths don't line Yeah, they had to
1: re-record all his shit because it was bad. It's
0: fucking gorgeous. I would have killed him. (laughs) (laughs) But you want to attempt the summary, love?
1: Uh, let's do characters first. Okay. And then we'll do summary. Okay. Um... So there's a lot of fucking people in this movie.
0: Yeah, and only three of them are related really to the plot. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Denny, but only slightly in maybe In a weird
1: Denny. way. Um, so there's Johnny, our main character, who is played by Tommy himself. Yep,
0: because he wrote, directed, produced, and starred in. Yes.
1: Um, so Johnny is played by Tommy himself. I feel like maybe he picked the name Johnny just because it was pretty close to Tommy. and yeah. <laughs> He doesn't seem like a creative name picker. Um, he's a successful banker who's engaged to Lisa. Which comes up
0: uh, in one sentence in the entire film, him being a banker.
1: Yeah. And he's well, not he's promotion. not
0: engaged. He's future husband of.
1: Yes. Yeah, they never <laughs> refer to them as fiance, <laughs> it's future husband and future wife at all times. Um Lisa is Tommy's fiance or future wife. Uh that's played by Juliet Dan Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. Danielle. Daniel. Um so I, none of these people, as far as I know, had ever really done anything. I put down all of their names just because this yeah. movie's fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> um, yeah, Juliet Danielle, uh, she's his fiance who has an affair with Mark.
0: And I've got an I got a fact about Juliet in real life because again, lots of information about this film. <laughs> Uh, they went to the initial screening Juliet brought her mother, and before the edits, after initial screening, you know how like you you drop it to your audience that has all your yeah. actors and stuff? Yeah,
1: you do your... Uh... Oh, shoot, what's it called?
0: Exactly. But the, they did that thing.
1: <laughs> oh, shut
0: up. Uh, she refused to do the second love scene, so it is, in fact, the second love scene. is all just unused clips from the first love scene. But the problem was she took her mom to the screening, And the initial cut for that scene was six minutes long. It was them having sex like that, him fucking her belly button for six minutes.
1: He really wanted you to think he could last, I guess. Yeah,
0: she intended for that to be a 15 second montage of like kiss and then lay on bed and then maybe like the humping motion. Still awkwardly. It's still like three minutes long. But, fun fact total time of sex in this film. 10 minutes there is 10 minutes worth of sex scenes which means that this film is 10 percent the backside of (laughs) was yeah
1: and it's awkward as fuck it's not it's not a sexy sex scene
0: you know well sculptured butt for a you know 40 year old dude it's
1: weird um yeah so lisa's having an affair with mark mark is played by greg
0: Sestero. sestero
1: um i'm terrible with names sorry i should have you do this part Who plays Johnny's best friend who's having an affair with Lisa? Greg is actually legit uh, Johnny's friend or Tommy's friend in real life. Um, Yeah. I I guess they kind of decided to do this movie together. Um, What I found earlier was that Greg was originally just supposed to be on the crew, and uh, on the first day of filming, Tommy fired the person playing Mark, and Greg ended up playing that role. Yeah, and Greg
0: Um, agreed to go on because Greg had a part in a really small film that I can't remember the name of right now, but if you go to his IMDb, you'll be able to see it. It's like some creature feature, you know, low budget. And Tommy was convinced that Greg was going to become, like, the next fucking Marlon Brando. And uh, so Mark said, you can be the star. So he sat down and then fucking wrote out this novel and then the screenplay and then made the film type situation.
1: Apparently, going back to sex scenes, though, Greg was so uncomfortable with doing the sex scene, he made them agree to let him keep his pants on. And that's why he's wearing his <laughs> pants in his sex scene.
0: And then goes back to get his boxers.
1: No, uh, that's the other guy. That's oh, a different character. That's
0: Danny. Danny.
1: No, that's... uh, Ooh, that's... Mike. Yes, that's Mike. Um,
0: Before you move on, I've got another sheet over here. For those of you that want to watch this at home the way you may watch this in the theater regarding Mark's character, you can pretty much yell, CESTOSTERONE, any time the lost, brawny, quilted, picker-upper spokesman, Gress Cistero, is on the screen. It is particularly fitting. When he's about to be manly about something. (laughs) So when Greg looks like he's going to fight, or Mark looks like he's going to fight people in the theater,
1: (laughs) testosterone. It's apparently a cultural experience watching this movie. (laughs) (coughs) And then there's... Sorry, I choked it up on my beer. (coughs) Uh, There's Denny, who uh, was not... This actor was not (laughs) listed on the IMDb at all. I had to go to Wikipedia to figure out who played this kid. Um, so, I have a sneaking suspicion. Philip later went on to be very ashamed that he worked on this movie and requested IMDb take it down. Uh, he is on the Wikipedia, though. He could not get away from that. So, so sorry for writing you out, Philip. But, uh, Denny was played by Philip Haldeman? Haldeman? Haldeman. Yeah. 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 I'm going to have you read these names. <laughs> Are you mad at me? No, I just, I'm terrible at pronouncing names. And every time I go to, like, say it, like, it sounds way better when you say mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Um, so Denny is a young college student who's financially and emotionally supported by Johnny, who is like his father, as we're reminded multiple times. From a writer's
0: standpoint, Denny is probably written as somebody that, like... Was so sees Sistero as two people, like the brave and strong brawny man and Denny. Like the child who doesn't Somebody's know what he's doing. So, like, the Denny-Mark dynamic kind of works in that regard.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Just a thought off the top of the dome. But another cool fact from The Room Guide. Uh, you're supposed to, every time Denny comes onto the screen, yell, hey, Denny. And every time that he leaves, you go, bye, Denny. Because <laughs> he shows up without any fucking reason.
1: He does show up quite a bit. All <laughs> these characters show up without <laughs> any reason. Um, Claudette is Lisa's mother. She's played by Carolyn Minot Maybe? I don't know. The- uh, yeah, it's the lady that has breast cancer that mysteriously vanishes. <laughs> um, uh, no, we'll, we'll save our fun quotes till the end. She's of the,
0: the movie. one who has cancer. Yes. Uh, another fun thing you can do when you go to see this movie is you scream cancer anytime she alludes to having it and then never mentions it again. Also, when she touches Lisa on the nose Which in that scene, you're supposed to shout, I put my evil inside you.
1: She does that. Whole line. It's a bit creepy to me because Lisa's not a child. Like it's a very childlike. No. See you later.
0: <laughs> Every time you do it, you're supposed to go. I
1: put my evil inside you. Yeah, it's weird. I didn't. I, I, I didn't care for that. <laughs> um, Michelle is the other blonde-headed chick in this movie. She's Lisa's best friend and personal advisor. She's played by Robin Paris.
0: Hell yeah.
1: Uh Michelle is one half of the couple that's fucking on the couch that loses the underwear. Uh, (laughs) Mike is the other half to that couple, who is Michelle's boyfriend. He's played by Scott Holmes, and he's the one who leaves his underwear. And How do you put your pants on and not realize you don't have your underwear That's a
0: damn good question. It's technically in the IMDB goof section. Really? Yeah. You're not the first one who's noticed that. It's like, how does a man who has sex with his pants on forget his underwear?
1: No, those two different people. Okay. Mike and Greg are two different people. <laughs>
0: or Mike and Mark.
1: Scott. Yeah, Mike and Mark.
0: All right. Um, and then there's the great, the powerful, Dan Jinglingling. I have no fucking <laughs> idea how to say that <laughs> last name. Chris R. A drug dealer who threatens Denny. Five fucking minutes. Five fucking minutes, Denny. <laughs> Which
1: may have been, honestly, the most impra- impressive acting in this whole movie. Uh,
0: hands down the most impressive acting.
1: Uh, Peter. The psychologist and friend of Mark and Johnny is played by Kyle Voigt. Uh, He randomly disappears towards the end of the movie. Why is that,
0: Kristen Pannington? It's
1: because he told them whenever he got hired for that role that he had a limited amount of time that he could spend filming this movie Mm because he had another project. They did not acknowledge his schedule limitations, And when he no longer could continue to work on this movie, they just replaced him.
0: (laughs) Who the fuck is that guy? But I've got two things on Peter. First off, uh, Kyle Vaughn had a uh, concussion moments before they went to schedule his scene where he's like, you guys are both weirdos. You remember that? And then they talk about going to the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like they're all in his office type thing. (laughs) Uh, if you notice when he stands up, he's almost walking his way up by holding onto the fireplace and holding onto the thing. He had a concussion right before they shot that. And the other one, again, from things you yell out at the movie theater. In the moments just before the gang's friendly, uncoordinated friend, Peter the Psychologist, looks directly into the camera lens, you're supposed to scream, Look at me. And when he looks at you, you cheer. <laughs> that
1: actually kind of makes sense because there was that one awkward pause where he was just standing there staring at the bookshelf. Yeah, and, and he's like touching
0: all the books. So out of place, yeah. <laughs> it was because he'd lost his balance because he'd recently had a concussion. Oh no, that's
1: kind of sad. And then last but not least, there's Steven, who is the character who randomly replaces Peter at the mm-hmm. end of the movie that we're never introduced to and don't really understand why he's there. <laughs> he's played by Greg Ellery? He's the random dude at the party who's very, very mad at Lisa.
0: Yep. And it is also appropriate to shout, who the fuck are you, when he appears on screen.
1: Yeah. So apparently his his angry lines that he's shouting at Lisa were originally meant for Peter. But But uh, instead we
0: just get some random dude who shows up in the last minute and goes, Tommy, you're ruining
1: my life.
0: (laughs) Yep.
1: So that's our our character list. Uh, Am I doing the synopsis or are you? Uh, Good luck. God forbid. <laughs> um. What did Wikipedia say? There's got to be a synopsis in here. Basically,
0: you've got <laughs> you've got Tommy and Juliet. Oh fuck, Johnny and Lisa. You're tearing me apart. Johnny and Lisa um, are set to be married, but Lisa's apparently, in their eyes, some sex goddess who just you know everything happens. Uh, for a reason. So she starts fucking Mark, who is Johnny's best friend, despite the fact that we don't see them together on screen until 38 minutes into the film. And <laughs> Johnny tries to deal with this love triangle. A whole hour happens in the middle, which doesn't really apply to the film. And then Johnny and Mark get in a fight at a party over Lisa. Johnny goes upstairs and blows his head off.
1: Basically, Did I and a it? lot of side <laughs> characters do a lot of side things. We have nothing to do with any of that. So yeah, that's basically the movie. Alright, let's call it a day.
0: Alright, cool. <laughs> you guys have fun. Go watch it. Enjoy mm, yourselves.
1: Uh, I don't think I had any other. But, well, before we. Dive Man, we'll,
0: in. we're going to jump into random shit here. It's the worst movie ever made. How the fuck were we supposed to format this?
1: Yeah, yeah, this one's a little all over the place. But a lot of fun facts today. Thank hi you. Hi, guy.
0: Oh, hi. Oh, oh hi, car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're tearing me apart. <laughs> um, I, I guess before we super deep dive into this, I think the... Super
0: deep dive into it?
1: I I think the most interesting thing about this movie, um, which maybe is a credit to his refusal to give up, is that Tommy originally wrote The Room as a play. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Because he was a theater type guy.
1: Yeah. And then he adapted the play into a 500 page book, which he could not get published. No one wanted to publish it. Um, And he got frustrated and decided to adapt it into a film and then... Uh, fronted, you know, the money to make this movie himself because nobody else was going to make it for him. Um, I personally will argue the route that this was a sloppily, hastily made movie by someone who.
0: could the write, direct,
1: or act. Or act. Um, <laughs> yeah, someone who didn't.
0: produce the fuck out of it. I'll give him the production. <laughs>
1: Someone who didn't really have the skill set to make this movie, and he apparently later on, when it came a bit more of a cult phenomenon, um, argued that it was a black comedy, yeah, but... Every- that's what it
0: says on the DVD.
1: Yeah, but everybody that worked with him and worked on this movie was like it was just a poorly executed drama, and mm-hmm. I am of the belief that that's what happened here. He was just not a man who really had the skills in front of him, and maybe that's because... Nobody ever gave him a chance, and he never got a chance to develop those skills. But I grew up
0: under Stalin as a baby. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I will give him props though that this is someone who had enough heart that he couldn't let go of his dream.
0: No, I, I can't take anything away from this. Like it. Yes, it is a disaster. That That is not new information. If you came here looking for a justification, um, I have a whole theory that I would like to get into before this is over. But no, I everything, I mean, he put himself through hell to do this and he did it. You know, support your friends when they chase a crazy fucking goal. You know, yeah. if nothing else that you take away from the room.
1: And I'll give him props. We watched the behind the scenes footage, and I'm sure he purposely left in the footage that was flattering. Because I uh, read in here that apparently he kept butting heads with the people that were filming the behind the scenes footage yeah. and had to, like, by the end of the movie, he went through four separate crews of people doing the behind the scenes work, so we kept firing them. So I have a feeling the footage that's on the DVD is probably the more flattering footage. The the man
0: who supposedly saved the entire production is, like, the DP that wound up because everybody else quit or got fired. And he was just like, can I have the top job? And Tommy was like, yeah, man, you have. But,
1: like, I I was kind of surprised when we were watching the the behind-the-scenes footage. Tommy seemed to be kind of taking it seriously. Like, it Mm -hmm. seemed like he was like, okay, let's do this and do that and, like... You know, what are we doing today, and let's focus on that. Like, it seemed, like, legit behind-the-scenes footage, and I yeah. told Brett when we were watching it, I was like, this makes me kind of sad, because I expected it to be, like, people goofing off, and it just going poorly, and people having temper tantrums, and I was watching it, and I was like, this is behind-the-scenes footage you would see on any movie. Yeah, he like just these... tried
0: to control too much of it.
1: Yeah, but, like, those were all people showing up and putting in, like, their time and energy and, like, trust in this mm-hmm. project, so I... As big of a disaster as it ended up being, have to give Tommy, especially, props. He hung in there and like wanted to get it done and got it done. Yeah.
0: like He more or less fired Chris R's guy, if I remember correctly, and then had to call him back so that they could... That initially, it was shot in the alleyway, and then it had to be shot on the rooftop for the rooftop sequence. And um, when he called up the Chris R guy... Um, the Chris R dude was like, "What happened? Did Tommy blow up the studio?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, probably. Oh, that's sad. <laughs>
0: but diving into the conversation about it, what do you got for us, Kristen Pennington?
1: Uh, well, I mean, to me, if nothing else, this is a bad movie. But if nothing else, this I'm gonna
0: watch it again this year,
1: <laughs>
0: just for a goof. It's fucking awesome. I love it. <laughs>
1: Um, but to me, this, this movie is a testament to having the courage to create your art. Like, yeah. I look back on my early work and I'm like, oh, it really wasn't that good, was it? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I've crashed and burned quite a- as aggressively. But, like, I I admire to some level a man that, you know, is older, kind of at that age where most people have given up. Mm-hmm. Um Definitely doesn't have the skill set. Like, pretty much all he's got behind him is that he's got the finances to pull this off.
0: And faith in himself. Yeah, and
1: faith in himself. And he went for it. Like, I I think anyone wanting to do any kind of creative work in general, that's a huge part of the first step is, like, having that faith in yourself to put yourself out there in that way so um, people can see your work and people are inherently going to judge you and judge your work and... If nothing else, like that's, that's my big positive takeaway from this movie, I think, is sometimes you have to be brave enough to fail.
0: It's that Stanhope bit that I love so very much. Kick like you kick and fuck them if they don't like yeah. it. <laughs> you know? It's
1: a testament to... <laughs> this is how to Tommy
0: c- makes film. Ah, it's <laughs> a testament
1: to creating... The work that you yeah. believe in. And he hired
0: actors that were low-level people that were just looking for a gig for, you know, a week. He hired them for months, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and he could have easily have afforded to hire, like, big-name people and gotten, like, a fancy director and a fancy DP Yeah. And- more experienced actors and he went for other people that were kind of also
0: desperate and hungry. Yeah, like
1: misfits that just wanted to make it. And I I think that's a little poetic in of Mm -hmm. of itself. So yeah, I I I I don't think Tommy was brilliant. I
0: don't (laughs) he's still alive? He's sending me a script. He's probably putting (laughs) it in the FedEx box right now. And Tommy if you've somehow scrambled your way across this, I'd love to talk to you, brother. I do I probably won't understand if I can what you're saying to me, but that's okay. You won't understand what I'm saying to you.
1: But you you have a theory that this movie's smarter than I think it is. I think
0: this movie is incredibly genius. And yes, I was w- wickedly not inside of my own brain by the time I came up with this theory. I think this is a film about side characters. I think there's a reason why you don't see Mark and Johnny until almost forty minutes into it like having a conversation with each other. I think there's a reason why Johnny is only on the screen for 40 minutes of the entire film. And I think that reason is it's about the side characters, purely about them. All the unresolved issues that you would see one or two of in a professionally done picture... You know, like you go over and you're like, oh, you know, I, I, I slipped and broke my hip. But what happened to you today? Oh, I got carjacked and now my husband's on a rampage. And the husband on a rampage is the main plot. You forget. And then thus we miss all the conversations that are like, I hate my neighbor. By the way, the test came back positive. I've got, I've definitely got breast cancer. <laughs> I think this is a film about the underdog inside of cinema. I think it's about the side character.
1: I think I'm hesitant to agree that I think. It I was, don't know if it
0: was intentional.
1: Well, to, to support that, I'm, I'm hesitant to agree that I think he intentionally did it for sure. I, I, I don't. And that's a rough thing to say about someone you don't know and you've never. Well, met. he said I every moment
0: of it was intentional. That's what he said after the fact, where he goes, "No, this is."
1: I, I, I You
0: wonder why it goes in and out of focus. I did that on purpose. I. Was in the editing bay. Yeah,
1: I don't think he's that deliberate or that. um...
0: Maybe he was just on acid when he was in the (laughs) editing bay and he just had all this raw footage and he was like, (laughs) yeah. I I don't think
1: he's that experienced for this to have been that deliberate, but just to kind of support what you were uh, saying, uh, his friend Greg actually has described the movie as Westo's life study of human interaction dealing with additional themes of trust, fear, and truth.
0: Well, what he said about it in an article I read in the New York Times was the room is relationship. The room is you and me and everyone in America. That's basically what the room is. I always say you can laugh, you can cry, you can express yourself, but please don't hurt each other.
1: And I think that's part of my biggest problem with this movie is I think there's a lot of bravery in being vulnerable in your art. Um, That's a heavy topic, for sure, if this is any reflection of his actual life, to be like, hey, I really loved someone that I really wanted to marry. Which and... it definitely
0: feels like an angry writer who just, like, gave you his poems in first draft. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I think there's a lot of vulnerability in that if this is, is is a true reflection of something that's happened to him, like, the idea that you can give your heart to someone and then be deeply hurt by them and then still kind of move on and try to find...
0: The overall theme of the film is betrayal.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, he feels like he's betrayed by everybody. Yeah. You know, which makes him look like kind of a narcissist, because he made it, he directed it. Like, if he had written the script and somebody else had portrayed him... Yeah. I don't think it would have come off as narcissistic, as, hey, I'm mad at my ex-girlfriend. How mad? I'm going to spend six million dollars making a film just to say, you're tearing me apart, Lisa.
1: I, I, I think that's why this And then this she film, goes
0: up the stairs and is like, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it, I still love you.
1: <laughs> I think that's why this film bugs me, is because these are really vulnerable topics and then they're just barely addressed. And then mm-hmm. we just kind of move on. And, like, the cheating, the, the money-hungry, like, girlfriend, the friends that are betraying your friendship the mom that's this weird leech character mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like
0: the drug dealer
1: yeah the drug dealer denny the, the kid the that's drug, an addict the
0: drug user who yeah. just you don't know if he's 16 or 26
1: <laughs> yeah there's so much like vulnerability here and we just kind of gloss over a lot of it and i'm like ah, oh, like we didn't necessarily need as many characters as we had, so if we had dropped a couple of characters and really kind of explored, if this movie had been nothing about nothing but human emotions, we could have still had like a really heartfelt e- exploration of like that mm-hmm. vulnerability that these characters were going through. Do
0: you think that's because he's Eastern European? Especially considering the time frame in which he would have had to have been born in theory. Again, nobody knows how old this dude is or exactly where he's from. But that Eastern European version of emotion is post-World War II very, very walled off. So this might have been, like, if it was written in Polish and, you know, done with Polish actors, might have worked. Like, it might have made sense, but he's doing it in, quote-unquote, San Francisco, real-world Los Angeles. <laughs> Like, culturally, I, that might have just been a clash of two languages. Like, there are scenes that resonate. There were scenes that I really liked. I really liked the Chris R. scene.
1: Five minutes! Five fucking minutes! he you know? <laughs> really goes into it. Like, even the mom character, when she's Loved like... Loved that.
0: The mom... Yeah, when she's talking to her daughter... Um,
1: no, when she's the, admitting the, the, that the she has cancer, though, it's his, such a detached admission. Yeah, but like, that's what
0: you would get if it was written in Russian and translated... You know, I don't, it's like I got cancer. <laughs> yeah, but
1: like I would think an American, you don't know, get like the
0: American, you know.
1: I would think an American actor would read that line and be like, "Yeah, the test came back. I, I have cancer." You know, like I, th- I would yeah, think. Not my
0: neighbor hates me. I have cancer. Mom, don't worry about your breast cancer. I'm having boy troubles. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I would think the actors would have. I'm gonna
0: drink myself to sleep tonight.
1: I, <laughs> As you destroy the apartment, I would have—I would have thought the actors would have taken up a little bit more responsibility to make the lines a bit more vulnerable. And I did. I'm not gonna sit here and flip through it because I know exactly what it is. Yeah. um I did find a bit that apparently Tommy was kind of um, adamant that they read the script how it was, mm-hmm. and like the characters or the actors would try to add lib lines and. Like, some of it got snuck in, but for the most part, he was like, read it how it is. And Mm -hmm. they didn't really have the freedom to, I guess, play around much. But I just, I don't know. Like, I I just feel like that's such a lost opportunity that there's not more realness in some of these heavy topics. Yeah,
0: it's a rough draft of a film. Like, if I I wrote a rough draft about quote-unquote relationships... I would have a lot of these side characters in it, but then I would cut maybe five of these characters out. I would have a drug dealer, but I wouldn't put so much of an emphasis on it without having Denny be in the throes of a heroin addiction. Yeah,
1: we should have seen something to indicate yeah. he was an addict. there's
0: a reason Lisa's fucking around on him. It's because of the stress of her mother's breast cancer. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. you, you fold these characters into each other to like create a depth and what this film lacks is th- th- these characters aren't folded in to have a, a, a an abc point
1: yeah they're and they're their reactions to each other and stuff shift so much throughout the movie without any like indication as to why like we be like in love with tommy in one scene and then hate him in the next and then lying about what he does and then purposely making yeah. him drink so she can make him look bad and like
0: by the way uh the final scene that big party scene where he gets in his fight <laughs> which is basically just two guys grabbing each other by the wrists and you know throwing each other against the wall uh the reason why he is so convincingly drunk because i loved that scene i was like that feels like he's there like that doesn't outside of the dumb fight choreography Mm -hmm. the lines felt real for the first time the reason that they felt real was because he was supposed to be playing a drunk guy but he'd recently injured himself or he'd gotten a cold that's what it was he'd gotten a really bad cold and um was basically pounding back benadryl (laughs) the entire time he was there and then to pep himself up to do lines he was Just chugging Red Bulls. So he was on Red Bull and Benadryl. He was basically just hammered on set.
1: They have that shot of him in the the behind-the-scenes with a Red Bull with a straw in it. He's just walking around with his Red Bull with a straw.
0: (laughs) He's, like, falling asleep, and then he hit himself with energy drink.
1: (laughs) That's not the move. (laughs) It feels, I think, too, because there's so much happening. There's so many characters and so many side stories it feels so rushed most of the time. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, moments for any of these scenes or any of these character interactions to breathe. Like, you don't really get yeah. a chance to... Boobs. Yeah, like, you don't really get a chance to, like, grieve with Tommy whenever he realizes his fiance that he's been dating for five years is cheating. We're immediately putting a tape recorder on the phone. <laughs> um, Which is
0: apparently just a thing Tommy does or... Knows how to do. No, he, he does that in real life. It was one of the things that I wrote that's down. Creepy. I'm not going to find the time to look for it, but he records every phone conversation he has, and that was his setup back in 03, was that he would attach the tape recorder.
1: That's kind of creepy. So that
0: when he, like, was on the phone with a reporter or something, he could hit him with slander if they misquoted him because he had okay, everything. Okay, that's smart. Yeah.
1: If he's recording his casual conversations, that might be why Lisa left him. <laughs> that's creepy. <laughs> but... Oh, yeah, even, like, the delivery of the dialogue. I noticed there were several moments where it was, like, we were talking, like, we were fast-forwarded almost. It was like, I did this today, and then I also did yeah. this, and then, oh, hey, you're there, and then, oh, wait, wait, we're gonna go do this. I
0: did like, not hit her. I did not hit her. Oh, uh-huh. hey, Mark. <laughs> it's bullshit. Yeah, and, like, the mood shifts,
1: like, so rapidly. You're
0: tearing we... me apart!
1: <laughs> and then we don't, like, yeah, like... He's, like, coming out on the roof, like, mad. She's lying. And then immediately that conversation's gone. And then he's laughing at someone else's abuse story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, dudes just sitting there throwing the football back and forth. Yeah, beat her up so bad she had to go to the hospital.
1: (laughs) (laughs) His laugh. Oh, my God, he laughs so much in this movie. (laughs) It's so disingenuous. (laughs) Or disingenuous.
0: Yeah, that's what it, it it felt like it was written by a person who was afraid to go into the emotion. That was afraid to just let it shut off. Just quit doing cocaine. Perfect.
1: I do legitimately (laughs) wonder if this was the very first version of this movie he typed out. And he was like, it's good to go.
0: Well, he did the play and he did the novel. No, I mean like
1: the first, like film script that he typed yeah. out. Did he type it out once and go, all right, we're all set. I would love
0: to read the novel. Can I please read the manuscript that has all of this dealt with?
1: I have a feeling it's it going to read,
0: like, not. the Unabomber's manifesto, and it's like, I just want to kill every woman in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I turned him into a Mexican. Yeah,
1: wrong accent there. That's
0: <laughs> thing. But... Then, um, but As we brought up earlier with the sex scenes and as I'm about to bring up right now with the San Francisco Bay Bridge, you need to shoot enough coverage. We learned this with The Vault, the episode you guys are never going to get to hear with the cops running around in circles for fucking 15 minutes of the movie and it's the same cop running around the same car. There's a whole thing in here where as the B-roll goes against the san francisco bay bridge which it's gonna do every 10 minutes of this film it you're supposed so to go much. go 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 and if it makes it all the way across the bridge you cheer but a lot of the times unnecessarily it cuts out halfway down the bridge and then you're supposed to go no you're
1: tearing me apart you're tearing me that apart that would be the move that would be the move to <laughs>
0: Shoot enough B roll, like the sex scenes were basically repeated. All the San Francisco shots were basically repeated.
1: Which I guess a couple
0: of the lines were repeated where it's like he just said that. Why are we doing this
1: again? Yeah, yeah, and the conversations are so like basic, Mm dude. But like, I I guess everything
0: opens with oh hey, and everything ends with don't worry about
1: it. (laughs) I guess to their credit, I didn't realize uh, the sex scene was repeated because the actress was uncomfortable. That makes perfect sense, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But also, just cut the second sex scene if she's not yeah, feeling that. Like, put something more interesting in its place. Like, I... Yeah, I just... I, I have a hard time excusing stuff like that because to me it just feels lazy. Like... If I was editing a movie, I would never intentionally repeat a shot. I would be like, "We're gonna to have to find some kind of work around to this because people are gonna see it and know that they've seen it already,
0: yeah, I and guess in two thousand and three, they didn't have their heads wrapped around that concept. They didn't have it wrapped around for the fucking Franco other movie yeah. the Vault,
1: yeah, and I've seen it."
0: You see it a lot in seventies films where they they could only get the police for like fifteen minutes so like they shot a couple of different groups and then they repeat that, you know, like dog day after and then you see a couple of shots like that.
1: Yeah. But like I I feel like my Work around to that is if you know you have it a limited amount of time, make sure you've got the resources. So have two cameras running, shooting two different Oh, you had angles. two cameras running. Yeah, you had two cameras shooting the same angle. Like, have two cameras running, shooting two different angles. That way you've got different perspectives, perspectives of what you're shooting. So you can, in essence, repeat the shot, but it doesn't look like you slapped the exact same shot mm-hmm. on there. So, like, I just feel like it's lazy to use the same footage, and, like, the the bridge. It's like, was there nowhere else in the <laughs> area of San Francisco. that you could have shot that would have <laughs> been as iconic or compelling to look at? Like, I don't even understand why we saw the bridge so many times, because every time we saw the bridge, I felt like... We had moved into a different day. And this movie, I think, only takes place in a couple of day period. Well,
0: we never know how many days. But one of the things, a a whole section called B-roll yells here, is every time it cuts back to anything in San Francisco, you're supposed to go, Meanwhile... Back in San Francisco. Yeah, it doesn't
1: feel relevant. For
0: Alcatraz, every time that they pay an Alcatraz, you're supposed to go, Alcatraz. And every time they show the Disney store,
1: Disney store. That was kind of weird. He was walking by, I was like, why do you have the Disney store? Every
0: time they go over the city and you see the neighborhoods, you're supposed to sing the Full House song, Everywhere You Look, Everywhere You Look.
1: (laughs) That's funny. But I just, like, I... I think that was what threw me off timeline-wise for this movie. I feel like most... Uh, movies or TV shows or whatever that use like cityscape shots it's almost always to kind of show a passage of time like we're moving from the evening into the night here's the New York City
0: skyline but there's the sun passing behind it yeah
1: or like oh it's sunrise or whatever and like we kept showing the bridge so I was like oh and mom kept leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back so I was like oh this is definitely a different day. Somebody's
0: gonna jump off that bridge
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was like this is definitely a different day she's not coming back the same day that she was already here and then they'd be like no we're still planning the birthday party no, there's that
0: whole scene where she's on the phone with her mother and then leaves leads her mother out of the house Do you remember that scene it's like in the last three quarters she's on the phone with her mom and she hangs up on the phone with her mom and then the, the next scene is her walking her mom out of the house no, that I they're in that. because he just forgot that they were on the phone having the conversation instead of in place so he shot a scene of her walking her out of the house
1: No, I don't remember that at all. (laughs) I just know she comes over way too often. I would...
0: For no reason. You know why nothing in the middle happens for no reason? Nothing. I'm I'm drunk. Um, Nothing between the second sex scene, which happens crazy early into the film, and the birthday party that he kills himself at, has any effect on the plot of the film.
1: No, it really doesn't. There's so much side shit going on. Nothing. I I don't know who most of these characters are, or why I'm supposed to care about them, or really what the hell is going on. (laughs) Like, it's so bizarre. (laughs) And, like, the way that they talk to each other is, like, so...
0: Oh, hi, Danny. Oh, hi, Mark.
1: Yeah, or like, don't the, worry
0: about it. Hi. Buys <laughs> the flowers.
1: <laughs> oh. I Hi, doggy. <laughs> and he had the money for the flowers, like, already ready to go. Yeah. Like, exactly. I didn't even $18. recognize you.
0: You're my favorite customer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's got a pretty distinct look, so I'm not buying that shit, Carol. <laughs> it was weird. Like, I... Has he ever had a real conversation ever in his life? I don't
0: think so. And just by the way he fucks, I don't think that he's ever fucked. Or he might have sense, but... Definitely has sense, but... belly button all the way, all day. That's not how... That's not where babies... That's where babies are. You're... you're, you're, you're you're in the region, my brother. <laughs> Maybe trying. start with kisses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did. I did laugh though at the part where him and um, Mark are like in the park, just for whatever reason, Mark running in the around, park. playing football and jogging, and like they're both jogging together, and you can tell there's some tension in that relationship because yeah. they're both clearly trying to outrun the other. <laughs> like you can tell they're having a macho <laughs> moment where it's like, "Fuck you, I can run faster."
0: <laughs> Speaking of which. Um, why do the characters play football in tuxedos? Quote, because it's fun. <laughs> he liked the concept of American football. He liked playing it without all of that gear on. And was like A
1: tuxedo's pretty restrictive, Tuxedo. too. <laughs> if you were wearing basketball shorts, also, I'd be like, okay. Much
0: like in The Disaster Artist, when they get in their fight, the fight that they actually got into, like on set was because um, Greg Greg. (laughs) Greg, uh, wasn't supposed to speak to him in his native language, but they kept saying, like, pass and catch, pass and catch, or whatever it is, and then he used the word for, like, catch, but he said it in French because he knew that Tommy spoke French, and Tommy became so enraged because he was not wanting French in his film. He wanted it all in English that he tackled Greg. (laughs) Jesus.
1: Why are I so ashamed of where he's from? That's a bizarre...
0: Because he's from New Orleans. Doesn't he sound like he's from New Orleans?
1: Yeah. He definitely sounds exactly like that. What do we have time-wise? What
0: do
1: we have time-wise? 53. Okay. I have a quote that I kind of want to use... Is there any other stuff you want to read? I've
0: got all kinds of shit. I can burn time for days. (laughs) I've used Uh, this.
1: To kind of back and forth on how...
0: In uh, a few minutes, bitch! uh, When he said that on set, everybody laughed, and (laughs) he could not grasp why that was funny. (laughs)
1: Oh, where is it?
0: Um, at the end of the film, he intended Johnny to be revealed as a vampire, but due to the budget restrictions, he was unable to get his Mercedes Benz to fly across the San Francisco skyline. I forgot about that. You look for what you need to look for. I'm going to keep hitting you with stuff. Mm -hmm. For no reason, there are framed pictures of spoons on the wall of Johnny and Lisa's apartment. I didn't notice them while we watched it on the first watch through, but apparently they're there. And so you're supposed to go to these midnight showings with a box of plastic spoons, which you are supposed to throw in random directions every time you see a framed spoon or a spoon in general.
1: He also did a movie, I saw that later, uh, or while I was doing the search for wikipedia he did a movie later on after the room that was called like room full of spoons or something like that it was like something titled like with spoons in the title I was like oh that's weird <laughs> um so yeah i have two kind of longer-ish quotes i kind of want to sort of close out i think my feelings from him or from the film uh from other people about the movie um that i kind of want to use to close out my feelings on the movie because i do think this movie was pretty bad yeah. Uh entertainingly bad. Not so bad that I'm like, it's terrible, I regret wasting my time on it. But I think there's I don't know. I, I I think I think like I said at the beginning of this, there's a takeaway for me where it's, you know, still positive because this may have kind of crashed and burned and been a disaster, but there's so much bravery in my opinion in putting yourself out there in that way and having the balls to go for it. So uh The co-writer for The Disaster Artist, Tom Bissell, Mm -hmm. um, said it's like a movie made by an alien who has never seen a movie, but has had movies thoroughly explained to him. There's not often that a work of film has every creative decision that's made, in it on a moment-by-moment basis seemingly be the wrong one. The Room, to me, shatters the distinction between good and bad. Do I think it's a good movie? No. I think it's a strong movie that moves me on a level that art usually moves me absolutely not but I can't say it's bad because it's so watchable it's so fun it's brought me so much joy how can something that's bad do those things for me
0: exactly again I bring up Stanhope for no reason (laughs) but how is making fun a bad thing whether or not that was his intention it does make people happy and really that's what he claims that his film is about.
1: Yeah. and um, It makes
0: me feel better as a writer. Probably makes you feel better as a director. Definitely makes us feel better as a production company. It makes producers. me feel like it's more
1: attainable. Granted, to be fair, he had a lot of money to throw around. Um, but if something so rough can get made, if zombie can get made, then... Surely, to goodness, <laughs> our movies can get made. Um, but I think this is an excerpt from the book, The Disaster Artist. Um, so I think it's Greg's reflection on the work, if I'm not mistaken. It says, Tommy's life study of human interaction had been put into a final draft blender and sprinkled with the darkness of whatever he'd been living through over the last nine months. The one thing Tommy's script wasn't about, despite its character's claims? Love. I had a sobering, sad, and powerful realization. Our friendship was the most human experience Tommy had had in the last few years. Maybe ever. The happy news was that whatever Tommy had been running from, he'd managed to turn and face it down in his script. Instead of killing himself, he wrote himself out of danger. He did this by making his character Johnny, the one spotless human amid chaos, lies, and infidelity.
0: That's fucking beautiful.
1: I... I... It may have been his really rough attempt at processing his life and his emotions, but... I'm I... going
0: through that myself with the book that i am been working on for fucking years right now, which I, I have all the faith in the world is there, but yeah. without the nightmare bonds, I'd probably die.
1: But it has me, or it makes me think of that Stephen King quote, and I, I don't know it offhand, so I don't want to try to actually quote it, but about going through the darkness alone and you're the only one... Yeah. Who knows what you've been through when you come out the other side. There so. is no
0: uh, road map to hell, that quote.
1: No, I think it's a different quote. Okay. But it's something along the lines of...
0: You either come out the other side yeah, or you or don't. That's the yes. quote about the road map Okay, to well then, yeah, <laughs> that
1: quote. Um, and I, I think possibly the room was Tommy's rough attempt at trying to relate to audiences his emotional pain that he's been through the isolation and yeah like what his experiences have been and even though the character dies at the end of this movie and i don't think maybe that was the best move there is like christ right away, like hands <laughs> outstretched yeah and I, I don't think maybe that was the move for how this movie should have ended but there is some po- some poetry behind the fact that tommy himself is not dead he created literally the best worst movie ever made (laughs) and um it has in its own weird way gone on to be a success so you know if you don't feel like you can achieve your goals or if you're going through a rough spot or whatever i think movies like this and works that are like kind of out there and kind of weird and kind of not universally accepted are testaments to the fact that you can be yourself and find your audience and find growth and happiness and success so I, I i think the the room is its own weird testament to being true to yourself and being brave enough to embrace that yeah so that's my my weird takeaway for this weird movie
0: <laughs> i couldn't have said it better i i'd I'm in love with this film. I want to watch it again. I'm very excited to get the script. I'm going to read it in the underwear that he sends me. <laughs> and I found out that he readily responds to emails on his website. So I'm going to try to see if I can't get him on the show. Because I think I can do that. Um, I'm inspired by The Room. I... I is it awful? Yeah, but I've done awful work. Like I was feeling my way around, and there's something so beautifully authentic about a truly confused person. <laughs> so I, 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 I hope you guys enjoy it. I, I, I hope you, when the COVID ends, sneak out and do a midnight screening. I. I hope you try to get in on the joke, uh, no matter how much of a joke he intended for it to be, you know, like. People have the audacity to make Titanic.
1: (laughs) People have the audacity to make Stitches.
0: Or the Godfather, (laughs) you know, like. Art is about the way art makes you feel. And that's what I like about Tommy's character. Uh, in this film, about the characters overall in this film, and as Tommy as a person, you know. So, I don't really have anything to add. You ready to make some hamburgers, motherfucker? We
1: gotta do our plugs.
0: Okay. You can find us over at uh,
1: Facebook.com/slash nightmareboxproduction. Or you can
0: take pictures of yourself holding your gun to your head, much in the way that he does at the end of this movie, Please. at Instagram. At Please don't do that. Don't do that. At, but please don't ever do that. At
1: Nightmare Box Productions. Or you can
0: go on over there to the Twitter. At,
1: at Nightmare Box Productions.
0: Or you can go to YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington. You can see Kristen Pennington's earlier work, soon to be slash Kristen Bloom. I don't fully understand how we're switching that name around. Uh, or YouTube.com slash Nightmare Productions. Uh, where you can see the dolls, you can see happy birthday, you can see the upcoming homework assignment, um,
1: the website, the
0: website which is, the
1: Nightmare Box.
0: blog. uh, where you can go and see behind the scene, um, pictures, you can watch those same films, you can read a couple of stories that I have up there that I really need to update, um, and eventually, you'll see the Madman Diaries. But until now, until then, it's um, sitting on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, all the places you'd normally buy a book. Um, Madman Diaries, a collection. But please do not buy it there. I don't see hardly any of that money, and you're honestly paying too much. If you send me ten dollars, I'll send it to you, even if it costs me more to do that. Right now, PayPal, PayPal, PayPal is mad at me. So you can send me an email at... Productions at gmail. And I'll send you that book. $10, I'll sign the bastard. It's probably going to be stained with beer, but <laughs> fuck it. That's why you love me. We get them all? Yeah. All right. I love you, sweetheart. Love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you on Friday. Hmm. Spilling beer be on myself in then. my two-pack pants. Do what?
1: We'll be married by yeah, then. The whole
0: episode on Friday is about getting married.
1: <laughs>
0: I got to buy a suit. <laughs>
1: yeah, our wedding's this coming Thursday. You're fucking right. I got to
0: buy, like, a like, goofy suit, and I want, like, a big goofy flower, and I just want to, like, <laughs> show up stone to the gills. I don't know. Eh,
1: fuck it. All right. I love you guys. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. Let's go eat motherfucking hamburgers.